0: Right, what a drum solo. We're listening to uh, the newest album by Artemis, titled In Real Time, came out in 2023 of this year. Uh, we started off the program with uh, bow and arrow, and this was Empress Afternoon. And wow, who was playing that drum solo? I'd like to know.
1: <laughs> Hi. <laughs>
0: Hello. Uh, we're speaking today on uh, the women's show with the uh, Sweethearts and Badasses of American Music with uh, Allison Miller, one of the great drummers and composers uh, in today's jazz musical world. Uh, good afternoon, Allison. how are you?
1: I'm good, how are you?
0: Good, well, my name's Ed. Uh, Deb hi, is Ed. Hi, and Deb Anderson is the uh, star of the program, <laughs> the originator of the program. She's been doing women's music for about 45 years, both in Wisconsin and here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, the women's show has just been a great hit and uh, a great source of information and music by and about women so yeah uh, she's a
1: she's a great supporter of women's music she is we are, we are all grateful for her
0: <laughs> good uh, and so yeah. Phil and I are some of her uh, part-time on-call DJs that she brings in each week to bring I guess kind of a, a different perspective to music so my job is always bring in the newest uh, best jazz and avant-garde women's music, and I'll tell you what, uh, Boom Tick Boom has been on a lot. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, along with uh, other ones uh, uh, that you've been involved in, including one we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, a duet you did with Jane Ira Bloom. Hmm, Tuesdays. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about who Alison Miller is?
1: (laughs) Where do I start? (laughs) Um, Who is Allison Miller? Okay, well, I originate, uh, actually was born in Texas and really kind of got introduced to jazz from a very young age after I moved, after my family moved to Maryland and just just outside of Washington, D.C. And at the time, there was a really fruitful scene there. And um, once I started drumming, which was, I guess I was about eight um, I pretty quickly like got my claws into that scene and part of that had to do with my first teacher and just also that I you know as I discovered drumming I also discovered how much I like to improvise more than read uh, notes on a page <laughs> so um, although I enjoy that too but you know pretty quickly by the time I was 12 or 13 I was getting to know a lot of the jazz musicians, in D.C. And, and then I started gigging when I was 14 and um, kind of kind of take, took off from there in a sense. You know, I've really learned uh, most of what I do from playing gigs and getting schooled by um, older master musicians, which, you know, I think is really the true way to learn this music is um, to learn it by doing it and by, getting yelled at on the bandstand.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds sounds right. Now is that early teacher is that Walt who you studied with? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Walter, Walter Sob, he was he was kind of the the community guru of that area and you know, I'm super grateful for him. Not only did he pass along his piano, his, his baby grand piano to me when he passed, which I've basically written all of my music on, but he was just wonderful at um you know, forming a community, like a very strong, strong community. I, I don't keep in touch with much of my folks, my friends that I went to high school and middle school with, but the, the people that I met through him, I definitely keep in touch with. And, you know, it was, his house was kind of the the safe haven to go and hang out on the weekends and listen to jazz and talk about music. And, you know, I don't know what I would have been doing if I didn't have his house to go
0: to. <laughs> what well, sounds like a wonderful opportunity for a, a young tomboy uh, drummer yeah. to grow up in. I mean, yeah. you said in a couple of interviews you discovered, uh, well, you would hang out at Walt's house practicing drums, cursing, drinking, talking nasty, and listening to old <laughs> jazz records. I mean, what teenage kid wouldn't want to do that?
1: Yeah, I know, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, sounds like you're know, great... he also
1: He also really, you know, he would say to me all the time, which I didn't get it, but now I do. He would say, if you can deal with me, you can deal with anybody in this business. And, you know, it's totally true. Like, he was, you know, he was t- he was all about tough love. Actually, most of my teachers have been tough love. But, um, you know, he was crude, crass, uh, you know, gave me a hard time, really pushed me. And I haven't met anybody in this business that... Um, has 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 at, at times pissed me off as much as he did. You know what I mean? But I still really loved him, you know, and he really formed uh, me, the, the beginning of me, which has now obviously lended to the uh, current version of me. <laughs>
0: well, I think he did a good job. Because <laughs> I, I love your drumming, and I love your sense of humor and some of the music. And uh, so can you tell us a bit about the band Artemis? This is your second recording now, this in real time, 2023. Uh, your first one came out was uh, self-titled Artemis, and you've had some changes in the lineup uh, from the first one to the second one. How how did mm-hmm. this start? I, I think I read where Renee Rosen uh, was invited to go to a, a jazz festival in France for the International Year of the Woman, and that's where it kind of started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: It's, it's Renee. It's pronounced Renee Rosnes. She. Uh She got approached by a French promoter to put together a band for exactly what you just um, commented on. And I was not part of that initial concert, but I guess it was a huge success. And then so the next following summer, which was 2017, the French promoter decided to book about a five-week tour in Europe with the same concept. And at that time, um, that's when Rini called me to see if I could do it. And it, uh, coincidentally, that was exactly about six weeks after my son was born. So I I said, oh, my gosh, I would love to do this, Rini, but I cannot leave my um, family for five weeks. There's just no way. I can maybe squeeze out two and a half or three weeks, but that's pushing it, you know. So um uh, so that's what I did. She had someone else the first part of the tour, and then I did the second part of the tour. And um, my first show was at North Sea Jazz, and we were just we were actually just there last week, so it felt like a little bit of a homecoming. And um, yeah, we just I, I'll never forget it. You know, we got on stage, no rehearsal, and you know, the heroes heroes like Chikorio were side stage, and all you know, incredible musicians were side stage. And we started playing and it just felt super natural and the chemistry was great right away. Um, we completed that tour and then we really, right after that tour, we decided we had to continue this um, and make it our own, not make it something that, that someone else put together for us. So that's when we came up with the, word, the title Artemis. That was Ingrid Jensen's idea. And we started all writing for the band and, um, you know, got signed to Blue Note and it's just taken off from there. We've had some, we have had some personnel shifts and those have been um, uh, fruitful in a sense, you know, like uh, Melissa Aldana was original member of the band and then Matt Cohen was an original member of the band, but both of them um, didn't, you know, they needed to focus on their own solo careers more. So um, that's what they're doing now. And, you know, it's been great. It's been a great ride. The second record, is I think so much more powerful than the first record we put out, and a part of that is because the band chemistry has grown so much, and we're all really writing for the band now, so most of you know the music solely most of the music we play has been written by one of the band members you know we're all coming we're all coming into it with the mindset of band leaders because we all are, and because of that, we're all very committed to keeping our individual voices as we hop into Artemis, you know, because none of us are side musicians. We're all band leaders. And I think oftentimes there's, you know, groups have been put together like this in the history of jazz, but it doesn't always work. But for some reason with Artemis, the chemistry really, really works, especially with the most current configuration of the
0: band. Well, it it seems to work in my years. I mean, it's a wonderful band. There's wonderful continuity all of that stuff is just great. Uh, but as you say, they're all individual musicians with their own bands, their own careers. How difficult is that for you and and others to keep this band solidified, or are you going to experience a future of always changing names in and out and where schedules fit?
1: Well, we don't, you know, we're not a band that really has subs. You know, if someone leaves the band, then we find a replacement, but we we're not, um, we're committed to the band sound and we know that band sound is not interchangeable. It is because of each individual player. And so that's, you know, that's the case. So the, you know, the, the four members who have been with it since the beginning are me and Reedy and Ingrid and Noriko Ueda on bass. Um, Nicole Glover has been with the band, the tenor players. She's been with the band for a while, but she's not an original member, but she's definitely a core member now. Um, so, you know, it's important for us to to stick with that um, unit. That being said, it's very difficult to book because, you know, Ingrid Jensen's the dean of Manhattan School of Music. Rini Razas is b- busy touring with Ron Carter. You know, every, I'm, I'm very busy with my band Boom Sick Boom and my current, um, I have a multimedia project, a new record coming out called Rivers in Our Veins. It's a conservation piece. So we're all really, really busy and teaching as well. So, you know, I would say it's probably most difficult for our manager because <laughs> he, <laughs> he's the one that has to make the Google calendar and then we all just kind of tick away at what we can actually do, you know. But we plan, you know, we plan really far in advance. Right now we're looking at um, the fall winter of 2024 to 25, you know, oh. so we, we try to, you know, we're all very committed to the band and we want it to continue but we also have our own careers as well. So, um, so far, we've been able to strike a good balance around that.
0: So are you leaving for, uh, well, you're in New York City, and are you going to be playing at the Great Birdland here in September?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right.
0: That, that must be well, quite an experience to go to this club. that's such a legendary club with the, always the greatest people playing there, and to go there and play for, what, a five days or a week?
1: Yeah, Birdland's been really... Really uh, supportive. I uh, supportive of Artemis, but also very supportive of my career. I was managed by Birdland Artists um, before COVID hit, and then. Um, but I'm really tight with uh, you know all the people that work there, and they've just been fabulous. You know, last year I put a duo record out with Carmen Staff, a great pianist, and they booked us for a week in there, and you know they just they're supportive. This will be our Third time doing Birdland for a week with Artemis. Oh, cool. And uh, it feels like home, like a home base for us. And really, it's where we developed most of the music on the new record in real time. We spent a week at Birdland right before we went into the studio. And um, the pieces <laughs> really transformed from the first day to the last day of, of the Birdland um, engagement. <laughs>
0: Well, that, that sounds great. And you mentioned some of the scheduling issues with teachers and families and all that. Are you still teaching at the new school in New York?
1: I do. I teach at the new school. Um, I also run a jazz camp in California called Jazz Camp West. And that takes, you know, it's only a summer program, but it takes a lot of work throughout the year. Uh, and those those are my two main teaching gigs. And then, of course, I, I do a lot of traveling and residencies in different schools around the country.
0: Well, Last year I talked, I interviewed uh, Jane Ira Bloom. And uh, mm. and we talked quite a bit about what she was doing at the time COVID had, was going on. And she was doing lots of duets uh, with uh, Mark Helios. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, we were talking about the change and the wonderful world of digital music and how she could record stuff at home and he could record stuff and you can interact and intermix things. And so is that how you and Jane did that, each from your own digital studio?
1: It is. It's really incredible, I have to say. We, because of her experience with Mark, she kind of became an expert at doing this, and so initially we just decided we wanted to get together once a week to just play. We did did something called the, I think it's called the New School Faculty Hour, because we're both teachers there, and we did one online where we basically just improvised through Zoom, Um, she was in her apartment and I was in my drum studio and we did a live concert, you know, through zoom for the new school. And it was so much fun and so cathartic that we decided to start getting together every Tuesday, um, just for fun, you know, just to play for an hour and a half. And she would bring in, you know, she might start playing a couple melodies here and there from different pieces of hers. And I would just improvise and, um, we decided to record them just for the hell of it. And um, and it ended up being so amazing. You know, like we were, we, after we recorded them, we were like, I think we have to do something with this. And there was so, there was so much material recorded probably, because we did it, I think for five or six weeks in a row. And each session would be about two hours. So we both kind of weeded through all of that material and then we kind of narrowed it down and and we sent it off to mark and he actually mixed it and mastered it and you know to this day it's like really one of my favorite recordings i've ever done you know there's something about being in your home space when you're improvising where you feel so comfortable and safe and and the way that jane plays really brought out a different side of my drumming and um i really like i really loved it also i had access to all of my uh Percussion that I love. I, I actually studied classical percussion in in university, and um, I I've collected odd you know odds and ends of percussion instruments throughout the world throughout my travels, and I've been to you know all kinds of places, and um, so I have this huge collection of percussion, but I never take it anywhere because it's just too heavy. <laughs> so it was wonderful to have that stuff right there, and I I kind of just set them set it all up behind me on the floor and jane would do something and i would be inspired and grab a piece of you know a rattle or shaker or you know a bell from um i have this great bell from thailand that i kept using on the on the uh, recording and i you know it's just something about that just really brought out a whole new creative side of me and i'm really grateful to jane for that you know
0: well it's a it's a wonderful recording and i I enjoy it. I, I love duets, and the one you did with, uh, oh, now, uh, the, with the piano. Uh, oh, uh, Carmen? Carmen Sch- uh, Staff. Yeah. Yes, that's a wonderful and very intimate recording, uh, and uh, I, I just like that kind of close, very personal kind of music between any two musicians. It just seems to bring out something different in them. Uh, I did a yeah. program a couple weeks ago here on the radio station on KZM, where I did the uh, Duke Ellington, John Coltrane duet that they did. And very, very different music uh, came out of that than what most people understood about Coltrane and Duke Ellington. Oh, yeah. So one of my questions uh, is, during this duet, uh, there was a couple songs. There was one on the Tuesday release that you two did, uh, A&J's Test Kitchen and one off of No Morphine, No Lilies, The Kitchen. And so in listening, oh, yeah. <laughs> listening to those, I was kind of laughing because they kind of reminded me of a video by uh, uh, an artist, uh, Martha Rossler. She did this video called uh, "Semiotics of the Kitchen in mm. which she takes different kitchen implements alphabetically and just waves them around on this early 16 millimeter film. And I was thinking this music would go wonderful <laughs> with this video. Uh, But she's a conceptual artist. I think she's actually from the New York, Washington, D.C. area, Uh, Martha Rossler. It's uh, wonderful. Anyway, those names, the kitchen, anytime you hear the kitchen, it just brings up her video because it was such a powerful, powerful video of her time. Uh,
1: What's the name of the video?
0: Oh, it's called uh, Symbiotics of the Kitchen. Okay. Uh, Martha okay, Ross. I
1: definitely have to check that
0: out. Yeah, she, she, <laughs> it was, it's hilarious and scary at the same time. Uh, <laughs> so as a teacher, you mentioned as a teacher and uh, you're teaching drumming and, you, but mm-hmm. you're also very much aware of the student. So when I was talking with Jane, I asked her, cause she's what, about 20 years older than you or maybe a little more. Mm-hmm. And so I was yeah. saying, how has the classroom changed? I said, are there, when you first started, were there lots of uh, young women in the class? And she said, not really. And I said, how about now? She goes, oh, a lot more. And so how about for you? Have you noticed a change? Because I know you're very interested in in working with the young people and helping them realize their dreams and their goals and their abilities. And a lot of these nowadays I'm guessing are young women. Well,
1: I I wish I could say that there were more young women coming through my drum studio than there are. There are some. It fluctuates, you know. Uh, some years I have a, a, a couple. I would say if I have two or three, that's a lot for me. Um, other semesters I've had just one uh, woman-identified person uh, as part of my drum studio. Um, the good thing about the new school is that there's just all types. It's, you know, it's such a such a New York City school and it's the, the philosophy of... Um, the new school is just like it's a radical philosophy of, of um, crafting your own curriculum and there's a lot of uh, talk of social justice so it, it, it attracts young folks that um, are, are, can place themselves all over the gender spectrum you know what I mean so I, I really do get the opportunity to teach all different types of young people and I love that um, I really love you know I also really love teaching young men Um, I think it makes a huge impact on them and changes, shifts their thought process around what women can do. You know, because by... I mean, this might seem simple, but just by the action of a young student studying with me, they become inspired by me, they start coming to my shows. You know, oftentimes young players go to shows, they get attracted to uh, older musicians and, and shows that Fits their demographic. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, um, for instance, most young male drummers coming into my school, you ask them who their favorite drummer is, and they they always say like one of the t- two or three drummers, and they usually name someone who kind of looks a little bit like what a person in their experience might have experienced in their life. Does that? I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm articulating sure. that yeah, as well.
0: I understand what you're saying. Uh, yeah. And, and, you're, you're,
1: people feel safe with people that look like they look.
0: Basically. Yeah. And so, and, and, and oh, go ahead.
1: Yeah, so when someone, young, a young male drummer comes to me, already they're having to challenge probably some of their um, conditioning of what it's like to be a, a woman in the world, right? And then by the end of their time with me, if they do what I say, they improve a lot and they become inspired, you know? And so then that's gonna shift the way that they walk through the world for the rest of their life. And I think that's really important. Um, I'm also very excited every time I get a woman student um, and very encouraging of them. I'm One of the problems I find with young women students is that most of their male teachers um, don't push them hard enough. They my experience is they come to me, maybe they've already been studying for a year or two with other instructors, male instructors, and there are some extreme fundamental things that are missing from their playing. And I say to them, well, didn't this person cover this with you? They're like, no, they just said I was fine every time I went to the lesson. And I thought, well, that's a problem. Like, these, you cannot, you cannot give someone the short end of the stick as far as what you have to offer the teacher just because of their gender, you know, and that's me assuming that a little bit, but I had personal experience with that where I would have teachers, not the not my main teachers, but some other teachers where I felt like they weren't pushing me hard enough partly because um, I was a woman, you know, and they didn't want to offend me or they thought maybe they couldn't be as um, they, they couldn't be as uh, tough with me, you know, and that's the opposite of what women need and what we want you know like women need people to push them and to make them better musicians you
0: know oh for sure and uh i mean are you teaching these boys to drum like a girl
1: <laughs> right yeah exactly, exactly.
0: I, I think that's wonderful well one of the things that i've read was uh, a friend of yours uh jessica laurie she said yeah. that after a concert you gave in carnegie hall she was writing home on the a train (laughs) and and uh, she said there was lots of young people on the train and they were kind of huddled together and they were talking and they were laughing and they were very excited and she realized they were looking at a playbill from the concert she had just been to that you were playing at in Carnegie Hall and that these these young people were extremely excited about what they had heard and what they had saw and they were just really enjoying it and yeah yeah and and you, I've read another place where you say lots of these people come down and talk to you at the end of the show, and uh, it's it's a great crowd that you're playing for, and they understand the importance of this music.
1: They do, and it's it's important, you know. Part of what part of the history of this music is to pass it down. You know, I I studied with um, one of my main teachers, Mike the great Michael Carvin. He he instilled that into all of his students. This concept of um, he, he, he has a phrase for it, each one teach one. And we um, basically pass it on. That's, that's part of the tradition. The music wouldn't exist if we didn't pass it on. So it's very important. You know, I, I value my relationships with my students greatly. They teach me. I teach them. They inspire me. I inspire them. And it's, it's a real symbiotic experience. And um, in some ways, sometimes it's more fulfilling than playing a live show. Like a great lesson is so fulfilling, (laughs) I can't tell you. Like when a student takes what I give them, really does it like I say to do it. I'm not saying that I'm perfect or anything. I'm constantly shifting my teaching approach um, depending on the student. But when a student really starts to get it, you know, and get excited about the music and they start to seek out what inspires them on their own without me telling them. I mean, to me, that seems just like a simple concept that of course that you should be like that, but you'd be surprised. A lot of young students coming in, they, they almost need to be, they want to be spoon fed the inspiration, you know? But when I get a student who just takes what I give them and then runs with it and discovers their own thing, I cannot tell you how exciting and fulfilling that is.
0: Yeah. That's, that's gotta be, that's gotta be a fantastic feeling. I mean, I've known lots of, teachers here at the University of Nebraska and they say the same thing when they can see someone who's taken the information made it their own and done something with it that's a that's a great feeling so Mm -hmm. I I have a question do you still have the dog Otis
1: oh my goodness poor Otis no we we had to put him down two weeks ago oh
0: geez yeah
1: but you know what he lived until 19 years old
0: oh what kind of dog was Otis
1: he was a Havanese, a little tiny dog. Oh, um,
0: that's what Deb says. Sort of, that's what she has.
1: <laughs> oh, really? <Yeah>. That's amazing. <laughs> they're, they're companion dogs, you know. Yeah. They're, they're, they're kind of needy and have anxiety, but they're amazing. And uh, this guy, he lived till 19. I, we couldn't believe it.
0: Wow. So does yeah. the, the title of your 2016 release called Otis Was a Polar Bear, is there any relationship there?
1: Oh, yeah. Obviously. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, he, you know, I'm always inspired by the simple things around me, you know, and he used to do this thing where he would take a nap and he would obviously be dreaming, you know, and he would always be running in his dreams, you know, like he's actually moving his legs and it seems like he's just sprinting somewhere in his dream. And so, I used to always joke around that he was pretending, like in his dream, he had become a polar bear and he was finally really big.
0: <laughs> and, like, oh, that's and great! And
1: scary, and he was running. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, uh, just another question or two. What's your relationship with Terry Lynn Carrington? She's a fantastic drummer, and uh, has put. A, she's working on this book of a hundred compositions by women. Are you going to be included yeah. in that?
1: Yeah, I'm in that book. Okay. Hmm. And Terry Lynn's a huge inspiration to me And to so many musicians I discovered her of course I'm of of that age where I remember her on the Arsenio Hall show On network TV Yes. And at that time I was just blown away Because I had never seen anybody That was the same gender as me play the drums Like she was playing And it was her and of course Cindy Blackman um, And Sheila E were like the three drummers That I would on a regular basis, whether it was in the drum magazines or on TV or in concert. I I grew up a huge Prince fan, so um, I would often, you know, obsess over Sheila E's drumming because she played with him. And uh, so she's she's been inspiring me since I was eight, you know, and then as I've gotten older and got a chance to to meet her first, but then also become um, acquaintances and then friends with her, she just continues to inspire me, you know, in the last... I would say 10 to 15 years, she's really made this personal shift in her career to really uh, back up an initiative, her own initiative that she now has a team of people supporting her around to help women and, um, you know, non-binary folks in jazz, you know, and she started the program at Berkeley college of music, jazz and gender justice. She just put out this book. She just opened a museum exhibit. That's, um, in connection with the book as well as the first volume of the New Standards book, uh, New Standards CD that she put out last year that won a Grammy. And she's just so inspiring. You know, I, and it's, always, it's, it's not even just that stuff, just the simple things like, you know, imagine someone like Terry Lynn Carrington must get hundreds of emails a day, right? When I email Terry Lynn, she emails me back within five to ten minutes. Wow. Every time. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I admire that. You know, I'm getting, you know, probably 75 emails a day. And I have a hard time getting back to everybody. And sometimes I totally drop the ball. And, you know, I love that about her. It's just she's, she's present. She's fully, um, when you're in the room with her, if you're having a conversation with her, she's absolutely present and calm and supportive. And she's so supportive of women. In this music, and it's she's done more work and has, has made more advancement for women than I think anybody in this business has ever done.
0: Yeah, she's fantastic, and that's why I play a lot of her music on this show. She's just an amazing drummer. My biggest disappointment was when she formed this little trio with her Nicole Mitchell and Jerry Allen. Uh, oh I, yeah, I, I read a lot about it, but I don't think they ever got into recording studio to put it down on on tape because I cannot find anything by that trio.
1: Yeah, I don't think they did, because I think it was uh, not far, not not um, not long after they formed that, Jerry died.
0: Right, so um, so I'm glad. But that you
1: know, there's a great, there's this, one of my favorite records is a trio record with Jerry and Terry, and, um, and um, uh, oh my gosh, it was just in my head, David, Mur- uh, David Mur- Murray.
0: Oh, yeah, that's, yeah.
1: That's, what is that? Re- that's rec- that record's called uh, Reflections, maybe? Oh no, it's called Power Trio.
0: That's it. Yeah. No. Yeah,
1: we... and that's a fabulous record.
0: No, because I've I've met David Murray a few times. He's one of the few jazz musicians who's made it to Lincoln, both as the World Saxophone Quartet and then with Kahil Elzabar and Billy Bang. They were here in town. Ah. And so. one
1: well, you know, one of my favorite um, Billy Bang records is. With um, Dennis Charles, have you ever heard that duo record?
0: Yes, yes, yeah.
1: Because I, I was a huge Dennis Charles. Sure. And when I first moved to New York in the nineties, he was still alive, and I, I remember going to this little club in the East Village, nineteen ninety six, and I would never heard of this drummer, and there was this. He was just, he was playing. I walked into the club, and he was taking a drum solo, playing the wedding song, you know, ba 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 da, ba ba da, and he was swinging so hard on the ride cymbal while he was playing the melody with his left hand on the drums and he also was missing a thumb and I I I I couldn't fathom like how is he playing his ride cymbal like that without a thumb you know and um, I just became obsessed with him I just think he was just so special so special but that's that Billy Bang Dennis Charles record is so good and um, I mean there's so many great drummer duo records
0: yeah have you there. ever run into or had any relationship with Milford Graves?
1: I didn't, no, I didn't get to know him personally, but yeah. I do, I did love his work, yeah.
0: Okay, well, we'll finish off, I, okay, I, go I ahead. think
1: I met, I think I met him one time um, in a studio, I was laying down drums for one track for this wonderful vocalist, Karma, and um, he, she was old friends with him and he was there, but I, I didn't interact with him very much.
0: Well, his. We'll finish off today with just a couple of questions here about. Uh, are you and Boom Tick Boom getting back together for any recordings anytime soon?
1: Yeah. Well, we have. Um, I have a new record coming out, and the, the first single just came out last week. And this is a project called Rivers in Our Veins. It's a multimedia commission that I wrote right before COVID hit. Um, that I've been touring the last few years, and that's kind of a bigger production. It's it involves tap dance and contemporary dance, and it's the same instrumentation as Boom Tick Boom, and almost the exact same personnel. But there are a couple shifts, which makes it uh, not to be too confusing. It kind of makes it not Boom Tick Boom, <laughs> but uh, instead of Myra Melford on piano, I have Carmen Staff on piano for this project, and and um, and Jason Palmer on trumpet is a fabulous trumpet player. So. Uh, in some sense, that I would say that that release coming out, it, it drops October sixth. I would say that that's um, it sounds like a boom tick boom record. You know what I mean? But it's yes. not with Myra's not on it. Oh. And it's funny that you you say that because I was just thinking um, that I want to start writing music for a, a you know a, a, an old school traditional boom tick boom record. You know, um, I've been. I'm the kind of person that when I get an idea and I get really excited about it, I just run with it. So, right when I was able to actually start recording music again with um, because of COVID, you know, I just I had all this music I had written during COVID, and I just had to get it out. So, I record right now. I have um, four projects that are recorded but not out yet. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> one is this the one that's about to come out, "Rivers in Our Veins." The other recording is a really, really um, creative, um, very avant-garde, kind of avant-garde rock record I made with Wendy Eisenberg, great guitarist, and Nick Dunstan, bass player. And then I have a new quartet with Myra Melford called Lux Quartet, and that has, um, it's me and Myra and Dana Stevens and Scott Colley on bass. And then... I have a big band record I made, so I'm—I <laughs> have like, you know—I feel very lucky that I have this beautiful, you know, uh, treasure chest of recordings to put out. But now I'm a little overwhelmed. I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? You know.
0: Well, I—I um, I love Myra Melford, and we've played her all women's group. There was a Fire and Water,
1: uh, oh yeah,
0: quintet that she has out with my favorite guitar player. Uh, mary halverson
1: yeah
0: uh who was a
1: student
0: he tr- was, was a student of a, a student of, of jane ira blooms
1: totally yeah and also anthony braxton oh, yeah definitely yeah
0: yeah so well we'll look forward to that i've read a lot about this rivers uh rivers rivers, rivers in our veins rivers in our veins that's it and you know it's a big yeah. multimedia piece but this is going to be just the music part. So
1: it's the music, but I also recorded tap for, for some of it. So there's okay. tap dance on the record too.
0: All right. Well, and yeah. people, people may have seen you on television on the Seth Meyer show. You were a drummer on there a few times.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I got my, I got my hands in all kinds of buckets.
0: It sounds great. It sounds like a wonderful life. And I thank you today, Allison Miller for spending some time with us here on KZM on Deb Anderson's, the women's show. And, uh,
2: Oh, I just want to uh, throw in, a, it's been a great interview, and thank you, Allison, for for doing it. Um, can you just let us know where you can be found in social media, and all your projects, uh, and your music, and uh, all that?
1: sure. Sure. If, if you can remember the phrase, Allie Boom Boom, <laughs> then you can basically access me anywhere. My Instagram is Allie Boom Boom. It's A-L-L-I, Boom Boom. And then use the motorcycle in the background there um and then my facebook is you know allison miller drums um but if you just search allison miller you'll find it and my website is allisonmiller.com
2: well thank you very much what a great interview uh ed rumbo thank you so much i i thought he was the perfect person because he's been following your music for a very long time i love great. it love yeah. it all
1: yeah thank you thank you it's it's always a uh, refreshing when i do an interview with somebody who really know knows my music so thank you thank you for that
2: you bet well we're going to go out uh we're going to go out with some music from your uh, brand new album in real time i i picked out slink which is a lyle may's uh, song is there something else you'd like me to play oh that's a great one okay We'll go out with Slick, yes. Allison Miller here on Sweethearts and Badasses of Americana and Beyond with Ed Rumbaugh, and thank you once again, Ed. What a guy! Ed, he does a great show here Tuesday. Well, he did do a great show, but <laughs> um but he'll be back again. So, anyways, Allison, have a great day. Thank you. You too. You yeah, too. Thank, thank you. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Allison. And off we go okay. with uh, uh, Slink here on the Women's Show. 拜拜